Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of approaching the throne room of a holy God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe did fill the temple. You must see God high and lifted up, and that he's holy, and that you're sinful, and that the only way you can approach God is through the person of Jesus Christ who died for you, and who can forgive your sins by his blood. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Our greatest failing as humans is in not realizing who God is and what His character is like. He is holy, holy meaning to be set apart. God is set apart from sin and set apart to righteousness. And since man is sinful, the only way to approach Him is on His terms. We must be made holy too, separated from sin. And therein lies the hope and the good news of the gospel. And in today's Simple Truths Character Study, Pastor Xavier extends the message of hope of the prophet Isaiah through the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In our last study, we looked at the life of Isaiah from three vantage points, which um, gave us a good overall understanding of this man and the general ministry to which he was to be a prophet over. Now we want to look at the prophet who was called by God to be his mouthpiece, evident by the content of his book. And I want to do this from three perspectives also. First, the unity and authenticity of the book. Then secondly, we want to look at the theology regarding God in the book. And then we want to finish by looking at the portions of the book, which will be a brief run through an outline that will just give you an understanding how the whole book fits together. I don't expect you to memorize it, but just you have a general understanding. The length of the book, as you know, contains 66 chapters. The book of Isaiah has been called the mini Bible, and I believe I mentioned that last time briefly. And this is due to the fact that it divides itself After chapter 39, the messages are so radically different, there are some who have declared that two different Isaiahs wrote those two different parts. The first, as you know, is from chapter 1 to 39. And the interesting thing about that is that it is the same number of chapters, 39, as the 39 books that are in the Old Testament. And that's why it's been called a mini-Bible. Those first 39 chapters speak about judgment and, and, and God bring, bringing that judgment to pass. And so it's identified as Old Testament. And then beginning chapter 40 to the end, 66. Those are 27 chapters, which are equivalent to the 27 books of the New Testament. And they deal with the conversion and restoration of God towards Israel and the promised Messiah and also the church. And so for that reason, it's been called the mini-Bible. Now the rediscovery of the book of Isaiah is an interesting thing. And as you know, it's been discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Qumran Caves and 
it's verified the integrity of God's character and his trustworthiness. As you know, a shepherd boy uh, lost a goat. He went in there, he chased him, and then he found those scrolls there, and they were discovered. And it revealed and yielded just thousands of fragments. But the oldest copy of Isaiah that we have was the Masoretic text up to that point. The Masoretic text comes from the word Masora, which means tradition. So it's the traditional text that was handed down to the Jews, and they contained it. It was embraced as authentic, as infallible, as inerrant, as being transferred through all those years as being absolutely what God had revealed. Now, the world argued, the world says, well, how do we know that the Bible is accurate? How do we know, you know, man wrote it? And, you know, I know you guys believe in this inspiration and this and that. But, you know, people make mistakes, this and that. So, God had to go find a shepherd boy and um, lead him to this cave and discover these jars with hundreds and thousands of scrolls and fragments of scrolls. And there they found among all those scrolls and remnants and fragments. An entire scroll of Isaiah, which was 700 years earlier than the one they possessed. Now, in the examination of both, to compare, the newly found scroll revealed that the Word of God was and has been transferred down through the centuries with most amazing accuracy. The two were found to be identical, even though they were 700 years apart. The scroll was 24 feet long and 10 inches wide. They didn't have books. They just rolled them up, scrolls. The discrepancies were only 17 letters in question. And 10 of these were in spelling. And they did not affect the sense of the text. Four were regarding style, such as conjunctions. And the last three comprised the word light. All of these little discrepancies did not affect the meaning or the sense of the text at all. Now, the details of the book are interesting because the dates in the book are a testimony to authenticity and inerrancy and infallibility as you go through Isaiah or any other book. Whenever there's a date given to us, that date is going to be surrounded with events, names, people, and places. And there's a greater opportunity to be found wrong if you're dealing with man. So every time you find a date, as we find in Isaiah and other books, in certain names or places, they in fact verify the authenticity and the inerrancy of Scripture because they didn't believe the Hittite dynasty existed at all. They laughed at it. They mocked it. Then God got some archaeologists, went out there, and he found out the Hittite dynasty. So now, it, you know what book the archaeologists use, both pagan and Christian in the Middle East? The Bible. 
And they go dig and they find what the Bible says was there. <laughs> All these historical events and kings are cross-referenced to such an extent. He's talking about the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, this king and that king. This king reigned in the seventh year of this and that king that. And all the cross-references just only make it easier for a mistake to occur. And yet it only verifies the perfection of the record. If we speak about prophecy, that in itself would be sufficient. Jesus fulfilled over 300 in the first coming. So prophecy itself distinguishes the word of God as the word of God from any other book. Religious or secular. Mormons don't have prophecy. Jehovah Witnesses don't declare any prophecy. The Moonies don't declare any prophecy. Why? Because when you start declaring prophecy, you can be proven wrong. There's cultural, civil, religious covenants that are recorded in this book, the Bible, that are confirmed by archaeology. There has never been one piece of archaeological find that has ever contradicted or proven the Bible to be wrong. Not one. Now, you would think the chance factor of all the digging that they've done, all the stuff they've encountered, that such would be the case. It has not. And yet, when you and I speak to non-believers, they argue from the other perspective. Oh, the Bible's been proven wrong. It contradicts itself. Next time they tell you that, say, you know, you, boy, you are smart. You want to show me where it contradicts? You want to tell me where it is wrong? They don't know because they've never read it. So they're flipping their lip like parrots because that's what they've heard. You and I don't have to be intimidated by that. Show me. They'll be pretty embarrassed. Prophecy is great evidence of inspiration of God's revelation. The uniqueness of the Bible is incredible. It is comprised of 66 books. As we said, 39 old, 27 new. It was written over 1,600 years span. It was written by 40 different authors from kings, statements, tax collectors, herdsmen, military generals, doctors, rabbis, stinky fishermen. The Bible has more manuscript evidence than any of the top 10 classical literature manuscripts. A.T. Robertson, the New Testament Greek scholar, says that there are 8,000 manuscripts of the Latin Vulgate. 1,000 earlier versions, 4,000 Greek manuscripts, 13,000 portions. Most, if not all, of the New Testament can be reproduced from early church writers. We don't even need those manuscripts. You can't say that about any classical literature. Listen carefully. The seven plays of Sophocles are accustomed as authentic texts. Yet... The manuscripts are 1,400 years after his death. After his death, 1,400. The Bible was written by that century. That's, if you take Jesus' death around 30, before the turn of the century, majority of the New Testament is already written. That's 70 years. It's rounded off. The history of Theodosius, 
460 to 400 B.C. It is known to us by eight manuscripts, the earliest being 900. That's 400 to 500 years after. No one questions those. Most mistakes and variations are found to be in spelling style, yet they never affect the sense or the meaning of the text. At worst, at worst, you've got 98.33 or so purity in your lap right now. And the small minute is a letter or whatever it may be that does not change the sense of the text. It is all alone from any other books. So this is the unity and authenticity of the book of Isaiah that can be verified along with any other. And remember, he's one of the major prophets. Now, let me just point out some interesting things regarding the theology, regarding God in the book of Isaiah. First of all, Isaiah reveals that God is holy. A very chief characteristic of his message, God is holy. Listen to Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe did fill the temple. Above it stood seraphims, each one with six wings, and two they covered their face, two they covered their feet, with two they flew. And the one cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken, the voice of him who cried out, and the whole house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The first time Isaiah reveals the holiness of God is when he saw the Lord high and lifted up here at his call. The seraphims were declaring this to be true. Holy, holy, holy in verse 2 and 3. The result was that Isaiah saw his own sinfulness before God. That is always what God is trying to do. God is not trying to impress us with himself. God is not trying to make us squirm like worms. He's trying to show us our sinfulness in view of his holiness and our need of him. That's the proclamation of the gospel. It isn't to beat people over the head with it, but it's to proclaim the news that they need to understand to make a proper decision about their eternity. The number of times the word holy appears in Isaiah is 69 times. 69 times. The first time the word holy appears in the Bible is in the book of Exodus. When God told Moses, take your shoes off your feet for your place you stand is holy ground. Exodus 3.5. 302 times Genesis to Deuteronomy, the word holy. Now, there are many words that imply holiness and, and texts that imply, but just the word holy appears that many times. You think God wants you and I to understand that he's holy? That's the key message of Isaiah. Holiness is God's moral attribute that is communicable to man. God has two types of attributes, communicable and non-communicable. Communicable means that what he is, he can impart to us. He's holy, we can be holy if he touches us and he changes us. He's all-knowing, but he can't communicate that attribute to us. We're not all-knowing. He's all-present, we're not all-present. He's love, we can manifest love. 
So there are some attributes that are communicable to us once we're his children. There are others that are not. This one is. First Peter 1.16 says, Holiness is God's moral attribute that is communicable. Therefore, he says, Be holy, for I am holy, quoting Leviticus again. Now, secondly, Isaiah reveals that God is a monotheist. In other words, that is, he is the only true God. Mono from one. There is no other God. Never has been, never will be. This is a key theme in Isaiah 45, verse 5 and 6. God declared this to be an absolute truth. Listen to him. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Now, how much clearer does God have to say it? When you read, especially from chapter 40 on to the end, he says this. He says, you know, I've been up and down this universe. I've cruised up and down. Never bumped into any other God. But in case you guys have, tell me of them and tell them to tell me of things before they happen. So when they happen, I can declare them God. No one's taking it up on it. No one has ever taken them up on that. Isaiah 44, 7 through 8 says this. God qualified this truth by revealing things in the future and challenged those who are said to be God's to do the same. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to me or to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it to you? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? In that there is no other rock. I know not one. Now, if anybody's going to know if there's another God, it would be God. There is no other God. He is the only God. Isaiah 44, down through 9. God declares that those who worship useless gods become like their gods. Those who make an image, all of them are useless. And they're... Precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. This is a particular focus in Psalm 115. They have eyes they cannot see. They have hands they cannot handle. They have feet they cannot walk, right? And what happens is people who worship gods like that, since their gods are insensate, they have eyes but they can't see, they have hands they can't handle, the people who worship so God, they become like their gods, spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, spiritually crippled. The glory of God is His own and the earth is full of it, as well as in the future. Isaiah 6.3 says that, 46.13 and 60 verse 2. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Isaiah 42, 8. So another key thing in the message of Isaiah is that God's glory fills everything. And he will not give any man his own glory. How often man wants to rob God of his glory. He wants to take the credit for what God has done. Now remember, all of us begin humble. How else can we begin? But when God begins to do a work in your life, and don't think just me as a pastor, but in your life, when God begins to straighten up your marriage, when He starts cleaning up your dirty mouth, 
when he starts making you a good steward, don't forget who did it. Don't rob God's glory. He told the children of Israel, when you go into the land and you partake of that corn that you didn't plant, and you start partaking of the stuff that you, that you just took over, I gave it to you. All that you have, I've given. Give me the glory. A very key theme in the theology of Isaiah. Thirdly, Isaiah reveals that sin must be repented of or it will be judged. In his own person we've seen in Isaiah 6, 5, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. First in our own person, we must see that and be convinced of that. I cannot convince you that you are a sinner. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, now you may be a good moral person. You may have a person with ethics. But you're headed to hell with all your virtue and all your ethic if you don't know Jesus Christ. You must see God high and lifted up and that He's holy and that you're sinful. And that the only way you can approach God is through the person of Jesus Christ who died for you and who can forgive your sins by His blood. If you don't see that, then you don't agree with God. And you remain blind and in your sins. Isaiah, a Jew, a Hebrew, had to understand that. First for himself. The people had rebelled against God. He tells that in chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and hear, uh, give ear earth. For the Lord has spoken. I, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. They were his children. The nation was corrupt and polluted. Verse 4 of chapter 1. A sinful nation. Alas, a sinful nation. Chapter 1, verse 10. The leaders were the leaders of wickedness. Hear the word, O Lord, you rulers of Sodom, and give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The Lord didn't honor their sacrifice and their feast. They call them hypocrisy in verses 11 through 15 of chapter 1. But here's the kicker. And here's a key. In chapter 1, verse 18, the Lord pleads through Isaiah to reason with them about their sin, his ability to cleanse them, and if they refuse a judgment, Listen, this is God. Listen to Him. Come now, and let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Chapter 1, verse 18. Come, let's reason together. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is God pleading with sinful man. This is the passion of God. This is the compassion of God. This is the mission of God. To plead with man through men who he calls to preach the gospel. Pastor Xavier Reese, closing today with God's message of hope and grace, wrapped up in the gospel of the grace of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And there's much more to this Simple Truths character study of Isaiah to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message. And the title you'll want to ask for is Simply Isaiah Part 2. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Isaiah Part 2, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, God's hand is not short that he cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from God. Find out how to boldly enter back into God's presence on the next Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 